Let's get into the weeds. I'm your host, Brian Brown, Integrated Weed Management Specialist with the New York State IPM program. 2020 was one heck of a year, but we still managed to pull off most of the weed management trials with the herbicide-resistant water hemp that we were looking at last year. We repeated most of the same treatments as 2019, but we had very different weather. Boy, it was a dry year, and so some of the results were a little bit different, and I think there's, uh, there's some learning opportunities here to see what the weather can do. And unfortunately, the weeds didn't get the memo about the shutdown, and they kept coming this year. <laughs> but we did have a few treatments that performed really well, so I'll share those with you. Overall, most of the treatments performed about the same as they did last year, maybe 5 or 10% different. If it controlled 70% last year, it might have controlled 65 this year. But some of the treatments were, I think, more affected by the weather than the others. So, first off, looking at the soybean trials, back in 2019, we started off pretty wet. And right at the time of, of uh, pre-emergence herbicide applications, the soil was was plenty moist, maybe <laughs> maybe a little bit too wet actually, and then in the first ten days after that application, we got seven tenths of an inch, so pretty good, um, maybe even a little bit too wet to start. Uh, but in 2020, we started out bone dry. We did get nine tenths of an inch in the first ten days after pre-emergence application. Uh, so not bad. You know, that should be enough to activate those residual products. And for most of them, it was. But for one of the treatments, it didn't perform nearly as well as it did last year, and that was Valor SX. So this is a group 14 a PPO inhibitor. Last year, about a month after application, we had 97% control. This year, we were at 40% control. And so we're thinking, yeah, maybe that might be due to the weather. Uh, we don't expect any herbicide resistance by the water hemp to this product. They have it in other states, but I don't think we have it in New York yet. And, and you know, given how well it worked last year, uh, I don't think we have it in this field in Seneca County where the trial is. And when I clicked on the nice pad, NYSPAD, uh, the New York State Pesticide Administration database, that's a good thing for folks to know about anyways, um, just to look up labels. Looked up the label for Valor SX, and it says that Valor SX may not control weeds that germinate after application, but before an activating rainfall. So I think what might have happened here is that there was some time, there was a few days, maybe even a week, between our secondary tillage, our final pass with the harrow, and then the activating rainfall. So we may have had some water hemp germination in that window that allowed them to escape control and kind of grow past this product. Now, Valor SX you probably wouldn't use on its own anyways, 
so it's kind of a moot point. Uh, and in fact, in the other treatments that we had Valor with Metribuzin or, or uh, with Valor XLT, which is Valor and Classic, we had very good control. And so I think that shows that when you, when you add in those other products that have a little bit more post-activity to take care of those small, just germinated weeds that got by the, the application of the Valor SX, those other products controlled those tiny little weeds and actually allowed the Valor to really shine because in that tank mix, so the Valor XLT and the Metribuzin, the Valor is going to be the most effective on the water hemp. And actually, in, in another treatment, we have Warrant, which you might expect the same thing, that the Warrant by itself isn't going to really control any emerged weeds if it doesn't get activated right away, or if those emerged weeds are there at the time of application. So with the Warrant, we actually added Roundup, you know, which wasn't probably the best choice given this water hemp is glyphosate-resistant, Roundup-resistant. But it may have just enough effectiveness to control some of these tiny water hemp seedlings that would have been present at the time of application. And so in that Warrant plus Roundup treatment, we were looking at 87% control of the water hemp compared to 40% on just the Valorisex. So I think it overall it shows if you're residual products don't have much activity on emerged weeds, it's a good idea to add a post product uh, to that uh, pre-emergence application. We were we were just looking at the single products. We did Metribuzin on its own, First Rate on its own, Valor SX on its own, and then Warrant but almost on its own, but with Roundup, just to look at the effectiveness of single sites of action, these different herbicide groups. Uh, we know that those aren't really realistic treatments, but just to see who's doing the heavy lifting within the rest of the treatments that we did where there's more products in the mix. The Warren Ultra Plus Metribuzin controlled 98% of the water hemp at about a month out after application. So that was our best pre-only treatment. Then looking at the post-only treatments, starting with our application of Roundup and Extendamax, that was about the same this year as last year, controlling about 80% of the weeds, or the water hemp specifically. Uh, but the Roundup and Extendamax plus Warrant did a lot better this year, 92% at the end of the season. This is in August, compared to the Warrant really having no effect last year. And I think the difference is that Last year, we planted a lot later, and the application was also later in the season. We're at 45 days after planting last year, coming in post, which is pretty late. And so the warrant, which is just the residual, didn't really have a chance to do anything. It was so close to the end of the season. The soybeans had mostly canopied, even though they never quite did. So there wasn't much water hemp that was going to come in germinate after that post-application, whereas this year, 2020, there was, and so that warrant actually came into play. Having that residual product in the post-application was useful in that it increased the control from about 80% up to 92%.
then the pre and the post treatments, the two pass programs were mostly about the same, almost exactly the same as last year, despite the weather differences. <laughs> so we've kind of hedged our bets. We've spread out our risk a little bit in that, you know, say the, the conditions when you apply that pre aren't exactly ideal. You've got the post to make up for it. Or the reverse, say the, you know, the post conditions aren't quite ideal. Well, you're coming in after the pre, so it's, you're not relying on that post. So overall, the the two-pass program was consistent both years and both very effective. So that's really what we're recommending. It can be hard to make that investment on the pre's, especially if you've gotten burned in the past where you just didn't get the rainfall. But we really think it's the way to go. Here's Mike Hunter's thoughts on it from our field day. When we put these pre-products down, we can look at the rain, you know, we can look at the forecast the short term to see really what it is. You know, it's really hard to say, are we going to get that, that needed rain? You know, I still wouldn't discourage anyone from, I know some growers don't like to put the pre's down. Nobody likes to put a pre down and not have them activated because you've spent time and effort and money on it and then you didn't get the weed control that you wanted. But, but you know, just given looking back at 2020, or some of those other dry seasons. I know after the dry season, everybody says, I'm done with pre's. I'm not gonna use a pre anymore because it's a waste of time and money and effort. Well, I'll tell you what, you know what? We really gotta continue to use these pre's every year. I mean, you know, regardless of, of what we get for rainfall, because in most cases, a lot of situations, you know, we do get, you know, the rainfall that's needed. I mean, this year was a little bit more prolonged into the season, but you know, if you look at, so an example, 1,200 acres of soybeans, you don't plant 1,200 acres and spray it all in the same day. It's spread out over time. Usually in May and into June, typically if you look back at our rainfall that we get, we normally get enough rainfall to maintain, you know, to, to activate these, these products. So again, just don't, don't walk away from pre's based on one year of it was dry and I wasted my time and money on it. All right, and the final thing I want to mention on the soybeans is that we changed the rate on the Spartan Charge. Last year, we were at 6.25, six and a quarter ounces. This year, we were at eight ounces per acre. So we increased the rate. And i remind you that this is not a labeled usage in New York. We're just looking at this for the future to, um, you know, to see what it does and and show whether or not it's going to be uh, successful for us in New York. And it did It did improve the water hemp control. Uh, we went from about 50% control last year, about a month after application, to mid-60s. Uh, so that's good. And then in the tank mixes, the Spartan Charge of Metribuzin did a little bit better as well. And this is kind of interesting. So Spartan Charge, this is, this is sulfentrazone. Uh, plus carfentrazone, which is AIM. So, you know, the AIM has post-emergence activity. And so even though Spartan Charge is, is um, you know, both of these products are group 14 PPO inhibitors, just like the Valor SX, they have a lot better control with the Spartan Charge. And I think it's because of the, the post-emergence activity in the AIM. And we didn't have that issue with the, you know, the small just-emerging weeds getting by before the activation of the residual products. Okay, 
Now looking at the corn. So it's the same field, same field full of water hemp. This section we planted in corn. And there are some, some big differences this year compared to last year. Last year in the first 10 days after pre-emergence application, we had an inch and a half of rain. This year we had about a half inch of rain. So not nearly as much, and so some of those residual products may maybe didn't get as activated as or as fully activated as they should have. But most of the pre's performed very similarly to 2019, with the exception of atrazine. Keep in mind that atrazine, this is one that uh, is in the group five. It's a photosystem two inhibitor that we don't expect great control because we found some resistance to it or evidence of resistance to it in the lab. But nevertheless, last year, 2019, it controlled 76% of the water hemp in August, so a few months after application, which is impressive. This year, at that same timing, we were at 40% control. I think that decrease in the amount of rainfall right at application may be the difference there. Then looking at the posts and the weather at the application, we had, oh man, in the 19 days prior to post application, we had a tenth of an inch of rain. And this was, this was a pretty serious drought, folks. We had some very curled up, unhappy corn. And then we had no significant rain until about nine days after the post application. And even then, I think it was just two-tenths of an inch. So very dry on either side of the post-application. And of course, the weeds need to be actively growing for systemic products to work their way they're designed to work and actually move throughout the plant. You know, in drought conditions like this, when the plants are really stressed, they just kind of shut down. They close up. They've got these little holes on the underside of the leaves called stomata, they close those right up. They basically stop breathing. Very little activity happening inside the plant. So there's not much movement of resources that are going on that would move that herbicide around the plant and make it as effective as it should be. This was most apparent in the treatment of the atrazine plus callisto that we saw some bleaching, you know, that's the Callisto, group 27 HPPD inhibitors. Those are known as the bleachers, right? They're the ones that make the field look like a whole bunch of skeletons. So we saw some bleaching at the very top of the water hemp, right at the top of the plant, the top couple of leaves in that whirl. We saw those turned white. So we knew, we knew the application went on, and, we, you know, the application was effective to some extent, but those herbicides did not move throughout the plant, and those white leaves might have died, but the rest of the plant, you know, 90% of the plant was fine in some cases. And so even, even though last year, 2019, we had 99% control with this treatment, this was really one of our best and uh, most cost-effective treatments. This year, we were down to 47% at the end of the season. So quite a difference there and 100% due to weather. And then looking at the two-pass programs, 
We had a couple with Acuron, followed by Status, Resolve Q, or Acuron, and Rogue Cultivation, uh, or Callisto, and Rogue Cultivation. And those all performed pretty well again, not quite as well as 2019, I think, due to the drought again. Um, but still up in the 90s and uh, controlling the water hemp very effectively. Okay, and then up in the North Country, up where we had our interseeding trial, we're looking at corn here. This is seeding a cover crop mid-season into corn, and we were seeing if the residual products residual herbicides that we put down right at planting injured that cover crop that was seeded about a month later. In 2019, we had 2.6 inches of rain in the first 10 days after the pre-emergence application, whereas in 2020, we only had 0.9 inches. So again, quite a bit drier, 2020 versus 2019, though not quite as bad as in Seneca County. Overall, the treatments affected the interseeded cover crop, which was annual ryegrass, pretty similarly between the years. The only real surprise this year, which actually surprised us last year as well, was that the atrazine didn't really enter the annual ryegrass. <laughs> uh, based on the work at other states, like, like Penn State, we expected some significant injury from the atrazine, and we just didn't see it. We had 8% injury 2019 and only 2% injury in 2020. 2019, we thought, okay, it was that 2.6 inches of rain that washed it right through, but we didn't have that this year, so we're not sure what's going on. It may have something to do with the high organic matter in this field. It's right next to the dairy barn, so it could be really holding on to that chemical really tightly, but I don't think folks want to be relying on atrazine um, in situations where you're interceding a grass cover crop. Uh, Callisto, again, performed really well for us, not injuring the annual ryegrass at all. Um, and Resolve Q, actually, um, again, performing really well, doing zero injury as well. Uh, the group 15s, the uh, chlorocetamides, uh, so dual. And last year we used Warrant, which is actually off-label, our mistake. Um, so this year we used Harness. Uh, those both beat up the annual ryegrass pretty good, doing about 75% damage there. So definitely want to avoid the, uh, the group 15 herbicides if you're doing grass interseedings. Uh, and of course, dual is an Acuron, so those treatments had some significant injuries as well. One of the big differences in the interseeding trial this year was that we had really low cover crop biomass at the, at the end of the year. We had only 62 pounds per acre, whereas last year we had about 500 pounds per acre. So huge difference. And I was looking at the weather data, I was looking at the corn, and I think the main thing is that we seeded the ryegrass a little bit later this year. So the corn was bigger, and I think just didn't let the ryegrass establish very well at all. Uh, this year we were at 655 growing degree days, whereas last year we were at 550 when we interceded. 
And if you guys don't know about growing degree days, it's a great system to compare where you are in the year based on how many degrees have really accumulated. Any, any degrees over 50, usually, over 50 degrees are counted. So if the, the average between the, the daytime high and the nighttime low is, say, 55 degrees for that day, you get five growing degrees. Uh, Mid-season, you may have, you know, six, seven hundred growing degree days. End of the season may have a few thousand growing degree days. And there's all kinds of helpful mathematical models that researchers have put together that show, hey, you're at this growing degree day. That means you've got to start worrying about this pest. Um, this weed typically emerges at 300 growing degree days. Uh, but if you're after 700 growing degrees, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, so there's a lot of great models like that, and a lot of them are up on the NEWA website, N-E-W-A, and you can access those for free. It's hosted by the New York State IPM program, part of Cornell. All right, so overall conclusions for 2020. Again, the two-pass program, whether it's herbicide mixes that include groups 4, 14, or 15, the, you know, the synthetic auxins, the PPO inhibitors, uh, the chlorocetamides, or whether it's two-pass programs that include other tactics like cultivation or perhaps cover cropping, those were the most effective for us controlling this water hemp. Yeah, they're a little bit more expensive, in some cases a lot more expensive, but it's unfortunately just that the cost of doing business is increasing because of these weeds and New York has been relatively lucky that we only have a few of them so far and the water hemp even we're lucky that it's only resistant to likely three different classes in other states they've got populations that are are resistant to six different herbicide classes so it really limits what you can put on and what you can be effective with. So if you don't have water hemp, geez, keep it out. Don't be bringing it in with, uh, you know, by contaminated equipment or you know, soil clods on your tractor tires when you're going through another field. Several growers in New York now have purchased used combines from the Midwest. And combines can contain over a hundred pounds of biomass including seeds and you know sure enough after some of the first harvests some of those first fields that they that they harvest with those combines next year they've got water hemp or they've got you know other weeds that they never had before so if you're in that situation you're thinking about getting a combine from the midwest or the south hopefully it's a good deal but i would I would go down there and I would clean it down there. Not, <laughs> I wouldn't clean it up here on your farm. Clean it down there. Get all of those seeds out of it. Take the whole day and get every little nook and cranny. There's videos online how to clean out a combine. And be sure that you're not bringing in these problematic weeds on your farm. All right, that's all for today. Final thing as a disclaimer, please read pesticide labels prior to use. The information contained here is not a substitute for pesticide label. Trade names used herein are only used for convenience, so no endorsement of products is intended nor is criticism of unnamed product implied. 
laws and labels change, it is your responsibility to use pesticides legally. And it's a good idea to consult your local cooperative extension office for legal and recommended practices and products. And a big thanks today to project co-leaders, Nencio Fernandez, Jeff Miller, Mike Hunter, and Mike Stanyard. And thanks to the New York Farm Viability Institute for funding this project. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Into the Weeds.